Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. It's where we bring you the Brooklyn Bay Area consensus about institutional investing that you desperately crave. No more ASMR this week. Isn't this the show where we eat spicy hot wigs and they get so hot that we end up crying? <laughs> I, I do I, I do want an investment management version of that, like where it's like, you know, you get portfolio managers interviewed while eating a succession of increasingly spicy foods. I actually foods. love that, that, that. I forget what it's called. <laughs> What's that show called, actually? Is it Pure Fact? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's eating spicy. That is a little, a little different, different. But I do love watching these famous people eating the spiciest things on earth. But anyway, this, this is the year end, Sloan. This is the this this year. It's is the year finally, end. Yeah, I, it's finally over. I mean, I was asking you earlier. Like, would you say anything big happened this year? Like, uh one or two, one or two. Yeah, you know, t- Tiger King. We had we had Tiger King. Uh, you know. Um, yeah, I've I've become like but, v- fairly yeah. adept at prison style workouts. Um, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's important. That like that's a life skill, really. Um, I've been really good at uh just seeing what's on the streaming networks. I think. Uh. Uh, but yeah, like, I think this is the year where like jobs became like the new must have, ex- uh, you know, accessory for everyone. And like, uh, <laughs> we just really got to see like how much of a, a crapshoot America really was. Absolutely. For those tuning in from the year, you know, 2084, um, this year at review is the end of the year 2020, which was a dog's breakfast of, uh, of ridiculous <laughs> events. <laughs> Um, the, you know, we, we're, we're trying to put together an end of the year episode here, the end of the year, you know, rehash that isn't just pessimistic and dark because there is, you know, a lot yeah. to be pessimistic about, or at least very sad about, but that's not the intent. Here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think one of, you know, I actually, and you know, dear listener, believe me, I actually do have a good news segment coming at the end of uh, uh, which I'm thrilled <laughs> this about. Brief introduction, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it was something of an ordeal, but I, I managed to find some. Um, but I, you know, one of the big questions I wonder about for this is like, how much will we be talking about this in 20 years? You know, like the Spanish flu was like a comparable period, um, and definitely, it seems like right after it. You know, you had the, you know, the flapper era and all of this like crazy, um, you know, kind of social change. Um, but it doesn't seem like anybody was like re- actively referring to the Spanish flu after it. That's after a it really passed. good point. You know, you know, um, I mean, I think in, in the world that we're like focused on, which are like these big giant investors, mm-hmm. I, I think this will be profoundly important year because as you know, yeah. and, and listeners, listener, you know, uh, that these organizations don't change without crises. And, and in fact, that, that was like one of yep. the topics I wanted to talk about, which is like, um, what are the triggers for change that we've learned? Well, if the trigger for change is a crisis, then 2020 will go down as the year that began so much change in this hundred trillion pool. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to change their technology. They're going to change how they do financial projections. 
um, where they get their assumptions, capital market assumptions, all these different things I expect will come from new sources and be constructed and utilized in new ways. And we'll be able to point back to 2020. Um, but that's a very specific niche. I think you're asking a broader question around society. Mm. Like, what, how will we think of this? Well, I, I think the niche, though, is is a good place to hang out. Because, like, you know, one of the... I, I think... I'm pretty sure on this podcast, we talked a while ago about... There was this impression after, uh, you know, the Great Recession recovery um, that, you know, and to some degree, a lot of institutions had wasted that's a right. crisis. Uh, right? Like, you know, they had this, they had this profound impetus for change. Uh, you know, like we had to re- rethink everything all of a sudden. Um, and it was, I mean, how is, in, in what way is this different? Do you think? I mean, I think like there was a pent up, the thing that was neat about the GFC was like, we realized that we were building portfolios based on these like archaic, um, categories called products. We were building mm-hmm. investment portfolios yep. based on equities and fixed income. And what the GFC like smashed into our brains was like, that doesn't provide diversification in a way you thought. And so you got to build these risk factors. Yep. Um, it also, to give credit to the plans, was like this realization that financial services is largely dysfunctional and, you know, that, mm-hmm. that you could probably do some of this investing stuff on your own. Um, And by the way, like, I think that's been like relearned in this crisis as, as like most people I think now realizes that the black box inside of hedge funds and and 90% of the time, like when you open up that black, black box, you just see jazz hands, you know, like (laughs) a really nice PowerPoints, jazz hands, like, 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 yeah. Most of the IP and hedge fund black boxes, jazz hands is, is a, a t-shirt that I think I, you know, seven people need to be wearing. Um, so, so I think like that crisis that we had, there was that pent up demand to think about portfolios in a new way. Now there's this like pent up demand mm-hmm. to get with technology. Like we got driverless cars, we yep. got private enterprises, like landing spaceships, um, on space stations. And like, we're still using that like 4,000 year old technology that the Babylonians were using to like model our pension portfolios. So this, this is the moment I think where we get technology. And I know I wrote a freaking book on this. Um, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are are you literally talking your book right now? Literally. I don't know if you read this long, but I am a selling author. Um, not best, not best, but I am selling. Yeah, yeah, you've yeah. sold over one and book. I'm, uh, <laughs> it's it's in a, it's in English, one language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, translated into go. one language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, hey, for a finance book, that is an achievement to actually be in English. Yeah, and for I think one day when you know all the back orders hit, I was number one on Amazon Finance, and then it quickly disappeared from that page. But I did grab a screenshot for posterity. Um, mm. Mm, yeah, they don't, they don't went back. What do you know? Do you remember what overtook you? Oh, it was like, uh, uh, something about Toyota. It was like some Toyota guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. gotcha. It, it wasn't like the Warren Buffett way or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, anything uh, about Warren Buffett. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Warren Buffett, yeah, Warren Buffett, exactly. Warren Buffett. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I think one of the things that was really crazy to me this year watching, I mean, like, you know, 
I, I think something that a lot of listeners may not really think about that much, but you know, like as a, a trans person, I know a lot of people who right. do sex work. Um, you know, and like it just happens to be, you know, a thing that happens in the community. Not everyone has that much access to, you know, solid professional opportunities. And one of these big, one of the big channels um, that people, uh, you know, have long used in that community is this thing mm. called OnlyFans. Um, Tell know, me what that is, because I feel like basically I've seen, you can. I feel like I've seen the videos, and it's like you know, get on my OnlyFans, like, but I've never even been to the website. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it, yeah, yeah, sure you haven't. <laughs> Tell me, what is this yeah, OnlyFans it, thing you speak of? Yes, OnlyFans.com, eh? Wow, this is the first time I'm hearing of it. Um, basically, the idea, it's it's kind of like Patreon, you know, or other sites that are like kind of creator, creator-centric, right. um, you know, where you have a relationship with an individual performer um, and like they create customized content for you. Huh. Um, you know, so at various levels of membership, you know, you might have like the, I talk directly to you member, uh, you know, for 150 bucks a, uh, a, a month. And then there's like, you can just see some private photos mm-hmm. and private stuff. Um, you know, for, so it's, it's the interesting thing about OnlyFans. Though, I mean, it is, it, I think they, uh, they now, they paid out $2 billion in 2020. Um, Yeah. To, to creators, right? Uh, and the reason I bring it up on this podcast is because it got me thinking about financial advice and the way we pay for it. Uh, you know, <laughs> because like, you know, we're not necessarily used to thinking about financial advice in this way, but it's really mm. a performance piece a lot of the time, you know? And there is this like newsletter industrial complex. I don't know, you know, probably know yeah. Agora Financial and, you know, all of these other places that are making just... I think Agora did two billion in revenue not too long ago. Uh, they got sued and the stuff came out. So you know, it's it's not a uh, a, a comparison that everyone anyone really likes, which is weird because sex workers are are honest and lovely people. Uh, <laughs> you would think that investment professionals would want to compare up. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. But, yeah, I mean, like, hey, it's right. the oldest profession, right? Where people are like. <laughs> constantly doubting whether investment profession, the investment profession is one or not. Um, but I guess, you know, both will <laughs> screw you, uh, you know, but in, only in one case, do you have to pay extra for that. But Thank I'm, you. But I'm yeah. long way of working up to my punchline. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we launched the free money only fans. Uh... Yeah. I, I, I was going to say, I'm sure we'll be on there before too long. It's, it's now like totally been gentrified as a thing. Like a lot of celebrities have gotten on it and have just been selling like, you know, hang out with me type stuff. I think Vice uh, just launched a channel on OnlyFans, which is a pretty pretty good sign that it's not going to be just for porn yeah. anymore. Pretty soon. I do love the uh, I do love where you t- took this conversation, which is like, look, <laughs> uh, there was a time when finance was like this personal trusted thing, right? And and like yeah, yeah. you built a relationship with the person you know that was helping you manage your money, and and so you know maybe that medium where you you know there's videos there's interpersonal contact all that kind of stuff is is some hybrid between you know that robo advisor and the old world yeah. where you kind of showed up live in front of somebody's office and and so this only fans kind yep. of a platform is a way to get that interpersonal connection around your portfolio and your goals and your objectives um 
<laughs> I'm really, really working, working this one. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I, you know, I think you're uh, like, it's funny. I laugh at the comparison, but you, I mean, you're totally right. Like there is like, I mean, what is the Dave Ramsey show? Right. You know, they, Dave Ramsey will, you know, they have, he has seminars, he has books, he has all of these different, you know, levels and tiers of contact that you can interact with. He's also apparently like, you know, not the greatest person. I think there was a bunch of COVID stuff. Like, I think he, he had COVID cases and made people come to the office still. Um, which is, you know, frowned upon, even in free money, even here at like, we're pretty, you know, we're pretty money centric here at free money. And, you know, we, we didn't make our many staff go to the office. Um, no, we should probably create some fake staff yep. member to, you know, <laughs> so that we oh, yeah. claim somebody else is doing all the work in the background. That's yeah, right, Kevin, Kevin the, the intern. intern. Well, I like, I like that idea. I mean, it's interesting. Um, it kind of leads me, if you don't mind, I mean, I know you've got your, your, your good move, your Go good news it. segment coming up, but why don't I, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's the, conc- that, I mean, that's at the end. That's the, that's Uh-oh. the D. To okay, de-get the vibe. To get, <laughs> That's a vibe rescue Before package. we eat our final, our final hot wing. Um, so <laughs> it kind of reminds me of one of the things I wanted to mention was like, I've been studying these organizations for like 20 years. And you'd think I've ha- I'd have this realization that I'm going to share with you far long ago. But it's, it's like why bureaucracy exists inside pension plans and sovereign funds and endowments. Mm, and, mm-hmm. and like when you get into these organizations, you're often just blown away at the level of bureaucracy. Like if you go to CalPERS, they yep. won't even give you a cup of coffee because they're worried that like, if they give you coffee, they're currying favor with you in some way, you know? And so like, it, 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 so they curry this favor instead. More like, like you're going to make <laughs> me put a quarter in a machine. And, um, anyway, so, <laughs> I, the bureaucracy, it, it's, it's like flashed over me this year, is really about compensating for a perceived level or an expected level of incompetence and a, a lack of mm, discipline. Mm-hmm. So like the people who designed these organizations mm. in the beginning were like, well, let's wrap them in bureaucracy because there's no way that great people will want to work here. And there's no way that they'll have discipline. And so I often think of it like, and by the mm-hmm. way, they're wrong. They were wrong because there's a lot of great people that were work at these places. But yeah. but like that's why it exists. It's like Odysseus, you know, shoving wax in his sailors' ears and and tying them to the mast so that you know they just carry yeah. on and they don't hear the song of the sirens and and you know turn the boat and and crash into the rocks. Yeah. It's it's the same with the pension fund bureaucracy. Um, it's about preventing terrible mistakes and and avoiding the catastrophes that are clearly out there in this world of finance without ever um, giving kind of autonomy to the people sitting on top of these plans. Um, but the problem with that, and I've been thinking about this a ton because I'm trying to help these plans change. That's like most of what I do. Uh, the problem with that is if you're tying mm-hmm. them to the mast, you can't do anything. You can't, you know, you, you've yep. defined the problem as the sirens and their song. But what happens if the problem's coming from somewhere mm-hmm. else? You know, it's. Uh, yeah. But, but like, it seems like a pretty resilient, like a pretty, like, uh, I mean, you know, in April, people would be sitting around going like, you haven't even reacted to the COVID problem. Oh, my gosh. But then by June, you know, if you reacted to the COVID problem, you're an idiot. Yeah, well. That's interesting. What if you were tightly rebalancing around all this? And 
I bet you could have made a lot of money. Mm. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you were, if you were, you could buy some nice stuff, I guess. But, you know, if you did nothing, yeah, it, I mean, worked you did nothing okay. it worked out great. You know, you, you did better than most, you did better than most, you know, Robin Hood traders, maybe, or, you know, people on Betterment. But, um, yeah. the, the challenge I have is like, it's pretty clear that we're going to need these organizations to change in some way, shape or form for them to like unlock their capital to solve big problems in the world. Um, and, and yet we've built this philosophy, which seems to be working, as you say, around tying our teams to the mast and just like trying to be long-term by yeah. doing nothing. But like being long-term <laughs> is not necessarily synonymous with doing nothing. Being long-term is about understanding, yeah. you know, what's a fair price over the long run and tilting your portfolio in and out of that in a dynamic way, you know? Um, yeah. pa patience isn't just about like having low turnover in a portfolio. I mean, although it, it does remind me of there's there's this study there's a, a study people often cite it doesn't exist it's okay <laughs> um, in, in, in the finance blogosphere um, of I think it was like the myth is the myth goes that Fidelity did a study of all their portfolios to see which ones were the highest performing by by characteristics and they found that the highest performing portfolios were the dead investors mm. <laughs> because they're all frozen. Um, I, I, and there are findings like that that exist, but I, I haven't seen, like, I don't think that that, uh, that particular finding actually winds up existing in that dramatic a fashion. I'd love to be corrected by a listener. That's fascinating. Um, but, you know, well, in, in a world where like, yeah, dead people outperform sentient, you know, living people, um, yeah, like tie these people to the mass. But, but in a world where like human beings can have an impact, a positive impact and not just a negative impact. Like the, the path to getting out of this like bureaucratic sclerosis is to hire competent and disciplined people and then like create a system that yeah. empowers them in certain delegated areas to go off and pursue their objectives. And, and ultimately, like that's the world I keep trying to envision where like boards of directors <laughs> at pension funds, they like have the systems in place, the data in place to have proper oversight and they have people yeah. with incredible insight and you can have both of those things functioning and have it functioning over this long horizon. Um, but it, I just always end up running into that bureaucratic part. And, and so like, that's mm. for me, it like this year was about like, first of all, like understanding how we change the organization. And I can come to that in a second, but it starts with like understanding why, we did this. Like, why, why did we design these yeah. funds like this? And it was really about avoiding catastrophe. And well, and you're really drawing a distinction between doing nothing because you don't know what's going on and not acting exactly rashly beyond the limits of your knowledge. Yeah, like as individuals, <laughs> you know, we have like that freedom to go do whatever we want, but we don't have, it's not like we have a smart process, you know, like when I, yeah. when I buy and sell stuff in my 401k, like I can tell you the process is like 14 seconds long and it's like based on like some ridiculous, you know, inspiration I get out of a daily news item. Like as the person who's designing <laughs> investment organizations, you will be astounded to see how bad my own investment decisions are. But the good news is, <laughs> the good news is I mostly buy passive indices. Um, and, uh, 
So it's going okay for me, Sloan. Don't worry about me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was just talking about this with my girlfriend. We're the same. Like, she's a way better investor. It's like, and here we are. Like, here's how you build the process. And then it's like, yeah, Whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that thing seems like it's too high. I'm going to sell it. You know, terrible. Yep, yep. I, I actually bought something off of a tip during the COVID pandemic and it worked out well. It was a great, you know, Stock a tips. great tip to buy a, a real, yeah, it was a, a real estate investment trust anchored by grocery stores. Mm, um, very nice. You know, hot tip, very, you know, but yeah, it's very, uh, it's amazing how, you know, what expertise will actually get you. And that's right. Know it really is. <laughs> What's next? You know, one of the, so one of my big themes for this year is like this kind of like perceiving is believing kind of thing where like, um, you know, so neurologically, uh, like as a ski racer, this is a big thing for us. Every ski racer will sit down, close their eyes and visualize the course, um, as they're, the, as they're right. prepping to run it. Um, and, and neurologically there's evidence that that is about the same mm. as actually doing it. Right. So in other words, in other words, we perceive thinking about the thing, thinking about doing the thing and actually doing the thing very, very, very similarly. Um, yeah. And, and like, as you know, I was sort of, I, I came across that at the Noguchi Museum and was reminded of it um, and started, that really, to me, is a lot about the way that we've been responding to the social justice, the diversity, uh, all the various calls for change that, you know, we've had over you know, especially since the summer, since the mm. killing of George Floyd, since all that, you know, I mean, there is tremendous uh, impetus to do something, but the something that we are able to do is really just thinking about doing something, right? The something that, you know, most organizations have done is issue yeah. a statement, uh, you know, which is like, you know, kind of, it's alarming, I think, uh, you know, and like, I think to the free money readership, you know, or listenership, like, you know, it's, it's uh, important to underscore that, you know, the problems we're talking about have not been solved and that listening to free money does not solve the problem. It's 98% uh, of the way there, if we're honest. Uh, that's true. No. Yeah. It's, I, <laughs> Do not the other stop 2%. free money is my message. Um, cause that money yeah, exactly. has to be freed and you could have some, <laughs> You could have, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the free money giveaway is finally is coming. <laughs> Look, soon. I think your point, Sloan, which is like this realization that I keep having as well. It's why I just was talking about bureaucracy and how do we unravel it. Is like, yeah, how do we move these organizations beyond the statement? You know, like, yeah. And, and so for me, yeah, like, what the hell do we do? Yeah. So for me, it's like, uh, why do we need to change? Like, there's the George Floyd that's like revealing the bias. There's the uh, the fires in Napa revealing the climate risk. Um, there, you know, there's the COVID volatility that revealed the lack of technology in these organizations. There's so many crises going on that you can't help but sort of say to yourself, when are we actually going to make change? And And so like, yeah, that's the work I've been trying to focus on this year, which is like not why or even how, because I think I wrote a book, a different mm -hmm. book. This is, I'm talking my other book now, which is like you, you can collaborate in these entities through collaboration with others and you pool resources yep. and do yep. all this great stuff. But it's that when, when do we actually reallocate people, resources, um, you know, 
scarce, scarce anything to something new. And it, in this space, yeah. it's incredibly hard because of the fact, I know I've said this before, but I'll remind everybody, most of this big hundred trillion dollars has a monopoly over their assets. So they're, they're not going out of business. Yeah. Right. So there is no, you know, Hey, like people are going to leave if we don't take this seriously. Um, no, like you're staying in mm-hmm. business. Like in Australia is the counter example. One of the super funds was sued for not taking climate change seriously. And guess what? That had like knock on effects on all the other super funds who are now saying, how do we avoid to get getting sued? You know? Um, and, mm. and so like, whereas in the, in the States, we're still like, how do we pretend that we know how to do ESG? Yeah, which we don't, you know, we, we don't like, <laughs> yeah, how, like, how do we pretend that, you know, we actually integrate ESG when really we're setting up a separate team so that we don't have to, which by the way, yep. takes me to my final big idea, but, but let's go That's, to Europe. I, I you was hoping to go there you would now? go there. All right. No, no, I want to, I want to talk, res- I want to talk resilience. Cause my, my last one is my, is my bad vibe. Okay, so so, so vibe. my final, my final thought for the year. So, um, obviously there's like, we have this bureaucracy, but we need change. So those are my kind of first two things. What do we change into? Well, I think like the big thing missing mm. in the institutional investment landscape today is this notion of portfolio resilience and, and specifically a new investment yeah. function inside long-term investment organizations that um, focus on resilience. And in my world, Resilience will require three teams coming together into a single team. The first is data. Um, the second is risk. And the third is ESG. So data, you get your data in a format that is usable. Um, the, you know, you've cleansed it. It's normalized. You can like drill down into it. That data will power all sorts of reporting. It will facilitate projections, cash flow, liquidity, all that. Get the data organized. In the same team, then, that data flows into risk systems. Risk systems is that short-term volatility, Mm -hmm. the value at risk, um, understanding your tracking error, all those things that are kind of current-day risk metrics. And then let's add ESG, which is also often alternative data. But that is the pre-financial risk, I would call it. Um, this is the stuff that becomes risk when you take a long enough time horizon. Now you combine data with traditional financial risk and ESG, and you start to get really remarkable insight about the portfolio. And that mm-hmm. is what's so powerful about this notion of portfolio resilience. Too many think of inve- people think of investment risk as just oversight. Let's make sure that we're overseeing yeah. the portfolio, but the risk function should also be insight, right? What is it about our portfolio? Are we yeah. allocated correctly? Is this asset mispriced? And, and that's true of ESG as well. You know, yes, we want to have oversight, make sure we're not, you know, using slave labor in China to make our, you know, products, which was in the news today. Um, but we all, but we also oh, want to make sure that we're having this like remarkable insight that helps us outperform. And so this notion of portfolio resilience, it kind of is like long-term risk-adjusted return focused rather than short-term. And it means data, risk, and ESG. I think this is profound. Yeah, I think we'll see. 
I think we'll see some uh, funds doing that this year. Like I have special information on one that I know is doing it, but I think there's a few more. (laughs) (laughs) The the free money tradition. I know, I know, exactly. (laughs) But I know it's happening already. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a feeling someone yeah. is going, but, but no, like, I, I think like it's, this is one of these, you know, there's so much philosophy that goes into investment management, you know, and like the, to, to go and and take the, the resilience approach rather than the risk approach, you know, I, I think it's, you know, at, at a cynical level and most finance people in my mm. experience are cynics, um, you know, people will be like, oh yeah, you want to come back up after it goes down? <laughs> wow. You know, good. <laughs> Good idea. You know, good idea. You know, yeah. But like, it, to me, like resilience, as I've you know talked to you a lot, is about what grows back, right? If it goes down, not about whether it goes yeah. up, goes back up, but about like the thing that happens in there. Um, and and that that really is like, I think that can be as profound an observation as one allows themselves to to really. And don't marinate. go down as much, right? You know, oh, yeah, like, like the power <laughs> of not losing as much money as your peers is so important. Like you should run some of the mm. math of like, if your peer, like if you have the same, you know, up years, but your down year is just a little bit less, um, your performance is going to yep. really compound in a different way over 10, 15, 20 years. And you're going to look so much better. And it's going to be a function of that you know, those, that kind of downside protection and everybody's like, Oh, let's, you know, let's go to the jazz hand hedge funds, uh, for that downside protection. That's a really expensive way to hedge, you know? And and I think this notion of portfolio resilience, data, risk, and ESG, I'll tell you, aside from the jazz hand hedge funds, that's mostly what hedge funds do. Hedge funds are data, like risk, and ESG, if ESG was just said the other way around, alternative data, which is what I think it is anyways, that's a hedge fund, you know? And so yep. rather than paying a hedge fund to get it, yep. let's build it internally called portfolio resilience so you can get it through your board of directors. <laughs> yeah, simply don't, yeah, don't buy, buy janky, janky stuff. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> take, a longer, take a longer time, <laughs> like, like, you know? Yeah. I I, I I look forward to seeing this uh, this catch on, and I mean, but, you know, because like I, you know, my my last big theme for this year is like I am, you know, remember Donald Trump in twenty sixteen came out on the campaign trail and he was like, America, you're going to be tired yeah. of winning by the time I'm done, um, <laughs> you know, and I we were like we've been number one in COVID case counts and death and mortality, like in all kinds of stuff. Um, in, you know, number of states that are on fire. We're uh, winning <laughs> all these terrible categories. Uh, we're winning. <laughs> in, like, I, I learned recently that there is a, um, a, uh, a maintenance hole fire season in New York city, <laughs> uh, you know, where like, you know, inevitably, um, in certain neighborhoods, the the ground just catches on fire when uh, water mixes with salt and goes down and hits mm. the transformers. Um, you know, so like, I I'm working up to being able to express excitement for 2021. You know, I mean, we've got yeah. a vaccine on the horizon. Like Joe Joe Biden is quote unquote pro yeah. science, which I can't be- can't believe is an issue. <laughs> yeah, people are getting the vaccine um, right now. Like you know, I saw it this morning. I think we've had two. Yeah. Two million have gotten the vaccine. Um, By the time this comes out, yeah, three or four. That's right. Um, you know, and and like the and and that's that's outrageously good. And expectations for Joe Biden are in the yeah. toilet, 
right? I'm like, <laughs> no one expects much of him at all, which is yeah, that's the way I play my life. I'm um, always like, look, I'm bad at this. I'm yeah. real bad at this, and then people are like, he wasn't yeah, that gotta, bad. <laughs> it's like yeah, just yeah, exactly. the expectations. <laughs> that's all I ask. For. I guess his hair wasn't on fire during the meeting. Uh, Do you think I could use Doctor Monk um, as a way of getting the vaccine earlier? Oh man! Oh, that's I don't know that 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 that's liable to get me canceled. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> look at this man. Although I, you know, like it. it you know, it, it's a real PhD. I do, I do counts. use the doctor, um, but I'm still to this day, even though it's actually never gotten me a first class seat on an airplane. But I will use doctor. <laughs> and by the way, Doctor Monk, like I got like the religious piece and the medical doctor piece. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I'm not living either. Um, yeah, there's like a t- the TV show about you is like about a, uh, a a monk who like responds to crazy um, healthcare cases like house MD right. but with a monk. Well, no, but I do have a couple of good doctor um, friends that have already gotten the vaccine, like close friends of mine that have had the yeah. injection in their arms, and um, it, I mean they're frontline medical workers, so it's uh, obviously totally justified. But it is fun to like be yeah. that close to the solution. Like I, I am one degree separated from human beings that have had the vaccine. And it, it is, it's like, I feel like the optimism creeping into my, my bones here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a, yes. And similarly, every time I hear about somebody like, uh, Claire, Claire's mom was going oh, wow. to the vaccine today. Didn't cause she actually went up, she wound up getting, oh. <laughs> and so she, she's, she's doing okay. She's recovering. But, um, Sorry to hear that. The, but but there is optimism that that is just sitting there on yeah. the, in the wings, you know. Um, and I Let's have some stories to share. Uh, you know, so I so I have I have three that are just like out there and weird, and then three that are actual legitimately good news. Uh, you know, so the the number first one is uh, that the Solomon Islands is banning Facebook wow. entirely in the name of national wow. unity. Wow. Um, yeah. Imagine that, like they're at war That's with Silicon amazing. Valley. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, hey, that's like banning smoking in my mind. Um, yeah, well, it's so funny. It, it's funny. Real quick one, on that one, I always feel like um, it's funny you bring up the smoking because I always feel like, why do people still smoke? Like, the only times I had a, a like an interest in smoking was like when I was embarrassed at a party, you know. And and yet, yep, now yep. with your phone, you always look occupied and busy and rad. Yep. Um, whereas, whereas before you have a cigarette to be like, oh yeah, I just have to have the cigarette, you know, it would give you something to do. Yeah. Um, nothing to do with Solomon Islands, but I, I do believe that people can use their phone instead of smoke cigarettes. People on the Solomon Islands are just confident that they look cool. <laughs> That's true. Um, the, <laughs> uh, so the, the next story I have is that sandwiches in Subway were ruled too sugary to meet the definition of being bread. So in, in Ireland, this is the the, the subway sandwich. Holy chain. cow! Uh, that's yeah. shocking. Like that's that. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's cake. I mean, what it, it, like, like, it's what do they call good. that then? Is it like a cake? I yeah I, I don't I mean I, maybe it's just like pa- paper like additional wrapping. Uh, it didn't specify the replacement <laughs> category, but it's not fantastic. Bread. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 
And my last, my last goofy one is an anti-gay Hungarian politician resigned earlier this month. Oh, I saw he was this. Caught by the police at a twenty-five-man <laughs> orgy, <laughs> and then and subsequently fled through. That the was window. amazing. That was amazing. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just. I mean, there's there's no justification. There's no way to like you know defray being a bigot, but like. <laughs> If you get called out in such a poetic way, yeah, I, I mean, it's just it's yeah, it does perfect. feel like karma is a thing, occasionally. Yep, mm. bitch, you might say. Um, but so, like, actual good news this year: the IEA, the Independent uh, Energy Agency in the U.S., um, put they put out an annual statistical book, um, and f- for the first time, they said that solar is the cheapest it's amazing. form of energy. Not just now; it's the cheapest form of energy in history. Uh, yeah, and like we were talking about, this is Trump's yeah. IEA. Like it's staffed with people who used to work in the oil industry. <laughs> uh, you know, like it's it, we cannot like underscore enough how big that is. That's a paradigm shift. That's fantastic news. Because um, the sun is endless. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like you know, even from like startup costs now, if you're doing a new fossil fuel project, why? Um, it, it makes sense to think about doing it solar. Um, the, uh, you know, the last good news thing that I have is that Scotland became the first country this year to have universal free period. Oh, wow. Um, you know, which, yeah, like first country in the world, um, which like we don't really think of as a civil rights issue all that often, but yeesh, what a mm. good, what a big one. Um, and what a win to have some movement on that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Seems, you know. Yeah. Oh hell! So the vibes, the vibes have been fixed. Positivity's back. <laughs> Good. Good. That way we can go into our prediction yeah, just, just in, time. in time for our prediction. Oh shit! What's happening? Yeah, just I well, I was uh, I was trying to play the Dear Ashby horn, but I played the wrong sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? That's the, that's the that's the right one. Okay. <laughs> Oh man, uh, I I should be put down. Oh no, I uh, love it. Um, so the the first we have, you know, obviously the you know, if, in case this is your first, um, you know, episode. I'm of sorry, Sony, which I, <laughs> they're I not normally like this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, I, I guess a good yeah. place to catch up with us. Usually we have True. guests or something, but you know, we do on every on every episode have people. Uh, you know, write That's in right. with questions. Um, for uh, for Doctor oh, yeah. Monk over here, Doctor Doctor Doctor. Um, so the first question uh this week is, what is the most loco thing that's happened this year that you forgot about until answering this question? I appreciate you sharing this question with me ahead of time, so I could think of those loco those loco <laughs> things. Um, the first loco thing, which I hadn't really internalized until this moment was that I have not stepped inside my office at Stanford since February of 2019, which suggests to me there's some serious, uh, sent, sent February 2020, 2020, I meant to say, don't tell Stanford. It's been a year and change. No, Uh, there's there's probably something like alive, like growing out of my little mini refrigerator. Um, So that's a little bit scary. Um, And it's just wild to think that like life could pop up and like be that kind of pressing that you wouldn't even go back to the room that you, you, you know, like that's my, been my office for 10 years at Stanford 
I was in there, you know, three days a week for nine and a half years. And I left one day without even realizing I wouldn't go back. And I haven't been back, you know, because it's a real pain in the ass to get on campus right now. All these different rules. Um, So that's the first thing that I thought was really surprising. The other thing that I find super surprising are all these electric bikes that look like bikes. Uh, So so the thing Ah. I find very strange about that is you'll see some like old lady sitting very vertical just hauling ass on what looks like a bike <laughs> that she is pedaling and you're just like holy shit yep. that that she is just hauling ass uh and then you realize that it's uh it's an electric bike it's basically a motorcycle for people that like yep. want to keep a low profile um, but then they don't end up keeping a low profile because they're sitting up like a vertical person doing 35 miles an hour. So, so that was the other thing that I think yep. has been surprising for me this year. These new, this, the trend of the new electric bike. Yep. Yeah. That, I mean that uh, honestly, those, those, those are so cool in the city here in the city. The delivery guys are all over the place with those. I mean, they're kind of like motorbikes, um, right? Some of them I mean, go pretty damn fast. Oh yeah, I mean thirty miles yeah. an hour, thirty ish. Like I and you know w- with the electric stuff, there's no no lag from when you pull back on the That's accelerator right. to when you go. So those things really rip. Um, the next question is, what dubiously plausible thing do you think could happen in 2021? Well, with Biden, I think we might get uh, universal health care for my for dogs Whoa. for dogs <laughs> so this is more this is more of a gripe this is more of a gripe do you know how expensive yeah. vet bills are <laughs> i have a dog i have a oh, dog yes, that do. has dwarfism and so he, he, yeah that's the thing and mega dog mega has dog. dwarfism don't tell anybody um, but like, you know, somebody needs to figure out how to make cost-effective pet health care available that isn't, doesn't feel like predatory. Like every time I bring my dog in there, they're like super condescending, first of all. And second of all, it's like, look, you're probably going to need an MRI with like a four-month course of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And, and so like the sincere thing is I would love for some business to start in 2021 that like is – a cost-effective way for people to like feel good about taking care of their pets. You know, I'm not made of money. I can't spend three thousand yeah. bucks on an MRI for my dog. You know, which is what literally what was pushed at me about six weeks ago: an MRI for my dog. And in the end, we had to be the dicks and say we can't afford that. And then finally, when yeah. we admitted that we couldn't afford it, they were like, "All right, well, there you could just treat it and see if that's what it is." And we did. And now Megadog is great. He's running around, you know. So my hope for 2021, given some of the pain I had in 2020, was like, let's let's get some better healthcare options. I know that what that's not like what we were hoping. Mm. It would be great to have universal healthcare, but that's I don't think that's gonna happen. But like, I mean, you know, this is this is Biden here. It's the Biden, not Bernie. But but like you know, the, the pet thing, it's really, you know. It really does underscore just like what healthcare really is. Because if you don't have insurance, that's, that's your right. experience in healthcare. Yeah. You know, um, and and like we we have a great vet here in in Park Slope, but like we have two ten and twelve year old cats. Probably expensive, you know, right? Um, to like keep them up to up. Pretty ex- yeah, pretty expensive. And the vet's great too. Like we, you know, uh, Griffin had to go like maybe three weeks, three months ago, and you know we showed up. He hates to travel. 
He shows up covered in his own piss. Oh god! <laughs> um, and the vet calls uh, calls us up and is like, "You have a very handsome cat." <laughs> he also scratches the scratches the vet. Um, you know, so That's even awesome. with a great vet, it still sucks. Uh, uh, so the the last question of this year here we go is what would you say is the most amusing prediction of all time? I'm going to make this one a little bit personal because I, I have to tell you, I have this prediction that I did that has been like weighing on me for 25 years. So when I was, the, I, I played baseball in high school and so I was a pitcher. And so I was pretty good at like seeing when a pitcher was like kind of sucking and like throwing like fat fastballs over the plate. And so I used to do this thing where like when I thought a pitcher was struggling, I would call home runs. And so like I'd be sitting in front of the TV and I'd be like, this one's gone. And I would like make a point of not doing it like every pitch, right? So like you do it once a game. And I would say like four or five times out of 50 tries, I was right. And it just so happens I was sitting at a party um, in college with like 25 of my friends. And I was having this feeling like this guy was about to give up a home run. And I called it just as he was about to throw the pitch. And I was like, this one's gone. And the guy hit a home run and it was like, I thought it was going to be so awesome. And what's so funny, what's actually like stayed with me is like everybody was angry. You know, like there was like two people, two of my friends were like in awe and like 22 of them were like, shut up. Like you must have seen, you know, like nobody was like thrilled at my predictive capacity. Everybody was just like frustrated yeah. that either I had gotten it right or, you know, they wanted to know the, the secret. And, um, and so what it taught me was like, oftentimes, like there's not a lot of benefit to making predictions, you know, like you think you're yeah. going to be cool for being the one to make that prediction. Let me tell you from experience, like even in this little case, the person who guesses it, even if you guess it right, you know, they're mad. In fact, they're rooting for you to get it wrong. Like, they would have loved it if I'd called yep. the home run and no yep. home run happened. They would be, you know, they would have really enjoyed it. Um, and so there's not a lot, you, you know, unless you're making predictions and you're like investing behind them. I don't think there's a lot of benefit to like making these types of predictions that are, are filled with tons of uncertainty. Um, unless they're, they're like yeah. true projections that you're going to like put capital behind. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a that's a great answer because like I mean you sort of there is this like tradition of putting out like I think the ten year could cross two percent yeah. next year you know but like the the you know the people who the only people who really enjoy that I think are the people who do them not the audience not the not the you know not the rest of you know it's this they sort of get to pretend to be Nostradamus and like there's no way there's no worse way to make friends than than like something happening and you going around yeah. i told you so i said it was going to happen and it happened. like when i called that whole run <laughs> it wasn't like people showered me with praise it was like everybody was angry yeah, yeah, yeah. At me, you know and so this realization that like projections are really only useful if they expand people's thinking and and i think they're useful when you're trying to think yeah. of like scenarios so like, hey, what are the different scenarios that mm -hmm. we could envision in the future? Well, this smart guy has predicted autonomous, you know, driving is going to be mainstream this year. And you're like, all right, well, what would that mean for my portfolio? I think that's valuable. But, you know, predictions yep. that are short run, that don't have wider implications, um, I think that gets you into trouble and people are mostly rooting against you. Yeah, yeah.
Well, with that, I mean, like, I think I, I would say we've rescued the vibe. I mean, we had a we vibe bailout. I think 2021 is um, going to be awesome. For 20, I mean, we based, I, you know, I, I hope so. I mean, for heaven's sake, I just want to get out on a dance floor. Oh, again. I know. Uh, you know, like, I, and let's, let's hope by this time next year, we're able to, you know, I, I can be like, you know, so here are my top three uh, nightclub yes. dance tracks uh, <laughs> of the year, you know, <laughs> and instead of us talking, let's be deep. Totally. I did go ahead and like yeah. make a reservation for a vacation in August. So that shows you the optimism I'm bringing into 2021. So by wow. August, I'm hoping oh, wait, that a, we're we're kind of back to normal ish. There's a one of my friends did the most finance guy thing ever, like based in Monaco, um, and he booked I think two or three different ski vacations in different Euro- European d- jurisdictions at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you know, just to kind of try and get around the lockdown restrictions and, and, you know, it, it wound up failing, but it was totally, Hilarious. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I hope you're right. I mean, I just got a travel voucher that expires in October, 2021. All right. So, uh, gotta use it. You know, hey, we're on. There we go. Line. All right. Happy new year. Uh, well, happy new year. Bye. Bye. Rain on them. <laughs>